You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God. With your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to this episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbot, and I just want to take a moment and thank you all so very much. First and foremost, because you're faithful listeners, we have uh, so many people that reach out to us consistently, uh, maybe in person or in uh, just sending us an email or sending us a text uh, and allowing us to know that they're part of our community. And we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you continue to come to the table with us because we can't do it without you. We're, uh, we don't have a budget. We really have no operating expenses except for our time. And, uh, you know, we do this because we feel like God put it on our heart to uh, help people grow in their faith walk. And we don't have an ulterior motive. Uh, and uh, we can't do it without you. You're the ones who make us visible. Every time you share, every time you rate one of our podcasts, uh, every time you subscribe, you make us more visible on whatever platform you choose to listen on. Just the other day, uh, a friend uh, of, our, of our community here shared with us that they had found us on a different platform from the one they usually listen to. And, uh, and it brought them great joy because they had given up the other platform and now in their new platform that they're listening to podcasts on, they were able to find all of our pa- uh, all of our past podcasts. And they said they started from the very beginning and just started listening all the way through. You know, if this has been a blessing to you, just take a moment and share it with someone else. Just maybe word of mouth or sending them a text or maybe just sharing one of our uh, podcasts just to allow them to come to the table with us. Now, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark today. Uh, we're at Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44, and the text today is very, very uh, straightforward. Uh, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have time, have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. But this time it was late and in the day, and so his disciples came to him. Uh, this place is remote, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, he, he, you give them something to eat. They said to him that you that would take more than a half of a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, 
He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied, verse 43, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, this text is a very familiar text for me. Uh, actually, for those who know who I am, uh, I'm a missionary uh, and I've served on the foreign field and many, many times I've used this text in uh, speaking in churches. And uh, today I want to take a little bit of a different slant than the one that I've been so familiar with. Number one, just to point this out, this is the only miracle that's repeated in all four Gospels. Uh, I think there's a reason behind that. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic Gospels. Those are the Gospels that kind of they kind of operate together. They share the same narrative. And then we have the Gospel of John. And John is not necessarily uh, completely different from the other three Gospels. It's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so closely related. You see uh, the same narrative story playing out. John is a little bit more of an intimate, uh, firsthand account of the what happened and what John heard, what he saw, and what he perceived during his time as a disciple with Jesus. Now, what's incredible is all the way across those four, those four books of the Bible, the one, the one story that kind of connects everything, no, naturally there's the story of, uh, there's a mention of John the Baptist in all four of them. There's a, there is a, uh, there's definitely the, the crucifixion and the betrayal by Judas and the, the triumphal entry and, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those are all found in all four Gospels. But some of the narrative uh, is just, uh, it's, it's funny because at times John was more focused on the message that Jesus was preaching, and uh, these other Gospels seem to be a lot of times more focused on just the technicalities of Jesus' life. Now when we look at this, uh, first and foremost, I love this this story in the book of of Mark, and the reason I love it is because Mark brings out something that none of the others do. He brings out one sentence, and uh, you know, right there in verse thirty-one, probably has to be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Jesus invites his disciples. He looks at them and he says, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." They had been so busy and so. Uh, they were doing so much, and they had their hand to the plow. And you know, now listen, they weren't even in business. They they're, they're not trying to earn money or make a living or find fame or glory or anything else. They're genuinely just disciples of Jesus. But many times, even those who are most committed in the kingdom of God can reach a place where they feel overloaded. And right here, uh, Jesus invites them. He says, "Come away." from all of the noise and all of the busyness and just come away with me. I love the way uh, Dallas Willard kind of explains a little bit in just one sentence or two sentences. He summarizes everything that Jesus is trying to express. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. It's amazing because so many times we get busy doing the work of God that we completely forget 
the God of the work. And he's sitting there the whole time and he's saying, hey, what you're doing for me, I appreciate and it's amazing, but it is secondary to me. It is secondary to your time with me. Now, Charles Spurgeon, on a, on a little bit of a longer note, he, he looked at this, uh, this invitation by Jesus and he gave a very direct, um, we can just a direct word to that invitation by Jesus. He said, there are times when solitude is better than society and silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word, spiritual strength for labor in his service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because we thus get the real nutriment out of them. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. From such folly deliver us, O Lord. Now, this is the same Spurgeon when asked at the end of his life what he would have done different. He said, you know, if I would have known God was going to give me 20 more years of life, I think I would have spent the vast majority of those years in preparation and time with God. And uh, instead of all the busyness that he was doing, I think it's very, very key for us to listen to this and hear this word, that it is a good thing for us to slow down, especially in the seasons of our life where we tend to overheat because of many, many activities. Henry Nouwen, he said this, he said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. And we do our listening in solitude and silence. We do our listening in a place where we're separated from all of the noise. John Climacus, he wrote a phenomenal letter. He was a desert dweller. He lived probably 1,600 years ago. He wrote a phenomenal work that's still used today by monastics around the world, both Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, Episcopalian. He wrote a, a book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent, and this is what he found. He said, the friend of silence draws near to God. Just let that sit in your heart just a little bit. The friend of silence draws near to God. You know, being able not only to sit in silence, but to desire silence, to become a friend of silence, to reach a place in our life where we thoroughly enjoy the moments, where we have the pauses in our life, is something tremendous, and it helps us to draw near it's pretty amazing that Jesus knew that he had to tell his disciples, step away from all the noise so that you can hear, so that we can rest, so that we can be together. He understood that. Now, Timothy Keller quoted uh, church leader William Temple, and when I heard him say this in one of his sermons, this is years ago, I never could shake it, and I really had to look this quote up and kind of flesh it out myself. But this guy, William Temple, he said, religion is what you do 
with your solitude. And think about that. Religion is what we do with our solitude. That when we have those moments of silence, when we have the opportunity just to be quiet, when we have the opportunity to seek God, yet so many times we find ourselves moving toward what could it be? It could be Facebook. It could be entertainment. It could be games. It could be movies. It could be, you know, it could be adverse things, pornography. It could be uh, uh, money. It could just be that we are consumed. Every moment that we have that's free, we're online trading or we're trying to make another buck or we're trying to turn another uh, a job contract or something like that. And William Temple points it out. He says, when we have these moments of solitude, whatever we do in that solitude really indicates our true religion. I don't know about you, but man, that convicted me. That made me start looking at the rhythm of my life and the times that I would slow down and the times I could have been spending with God. I found myself, um, you know, I found myself drifting. And I found out that quite possibly there were times in my life that my true religion was not seeking God, but it was something else that was pulling me away from Him. If you feel hurried, I want you to remind yourself that hurry doesn't come from God. You know what? God is never in a hurry. Now, some people would say, well, what about our need to go and preach and reach the lost world? That's true. We have an urgency. We have a mandate. But God, who knows all of eternity and has no beginning and has no ending, my friend, he is never in a hurry. And so when we feel a hurriedness just to pass by the things that are most important in life, we need to realize that that hurriedness, whether it's to make money, whether it's to do a job or, or serve in our church or do whatever, whatever it is that's causing us to have that anxious uh, hurriedness, we have to realize that never comes from God. Now, the second thing we see about this text is the disciples were tired, right? They were kind of burnt out. They were a little bit on edge, and Jesus saw that, and so he invited them to step away. And what happened? They packed up the boat, and they're crossing over the the, the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to the other side to get some rest. Oh, man, and guess what happened? The hurriedness and the need followed them. So when they get on the other side, they're, um, they're confronted by more noise. And uh, I love the fact that uh, we see Jesus' true nature revealed here. You know, it could have been very uh, simple. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've had times in your life where uh, you just uh, you had you had a very empty tank when it came to uh, listening to other people. You were just done. Like stick a fork in me. I'm finished. I can't listen. I can't hear. I don't want to hear anyone else's problems or or, or needs or anything else. Uh, and I've been there. Some people call it uh, compassion overload. You continually give, 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 and before you you know it, you are completely empty. Yet here we see a response to a need. And the Bible tells us in when we look at this text that Jesus was moved with compassion. He looked at them as if they had they were sheep without a shepherd. That's in another 
one of the tellings of the story. And uh, what I love about this story is Jesus is teaching us to be considerate to the suffering around us, even when we don't feel like it, that we have to be considerate of other people's pain and need, even when we don't feel like it. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever been in a place where you just needed a little bit of love and a little bit of compassion? Maybe it was spiritual or emotional or physical. Maybe it was the fact that you missed your flight and you needed somebody to help you reschedule or you were in a bad situation. You know, I think about the story and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, planes, trains, and automobiles. And uh, these these two men just continually meet and cross paths. And, and it's unbelievably uh, funny, but they're always... Uh, they're all they're, they're just they just need a little bit of compassion. <laughs> everything is coming up zeros and everything's coming up bad. And I don't know if you've ever just had a day where you just needed somebody, not maybe not in a literal sense, but you just needed like an emotional hug. You needed somebody just to give you a break and listen to your situation. And I think we've all been there. And uh, I think what Jesus is reminding us here is even when we're being called away from all the rush and all the hurry, we still need to be compassionate to the need of other people. You know, remember the amount of compassion Jesus had on each one of us. Can you remember that? Can you remember the fact that, you know, Jesus took the time to just to love us and to reach out to us? And, uh, and I mean on a personal level. I hope you have that kind of relationship with God to realize that, you know, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But listen to what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody framed it this way. He says, no matter how low down you are, no matter what your disposition has been, you may be low in your thoughts, words, and actions. You may be selfish. Your heart may be overflowing with corruption and wickedness, yet Jesus will have compassion upon you. He will speak comforting words to you, not treat you coldly or spurn you as perhaps those of the earth would, but will speak tender words and words of love and affection and kindness. Just come at once. He is a faithful friend, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, when we see that, I think we all want to receive compassion, correct? Meister Eckhart said it this way. He said, you may call God love, you may call God goodness, but the best name for God is compassion. And what compassion literally means is we can feel the pain of another person. That's why when the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion, it literally means he felt the pain that those people were feeling. And in the middle of this story, we can get caught up in a lot of different elements of the story. But I'm reminded here of Plato, the Greek philosopher, who said it this way, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. Just be kind to people, even though you don't feel like being kind. Be compassionate, even though you don't feel like being compassionate. Because whatever you're seeing on the outside of someone's life, you know what? The inside reality is always much, much worse. Whatever's manifesting itself, and I know that many times we're in a place where we don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to continually uh, hand out money or hand out, and, and I'm not talking about that. You know what? Many times 
Uh, the best thing we can do is pray for someone. The best thing we can do is listen to someone. The best thing we can do is just tell someone, you know what, uh, I'm going to be praying for you. I, I believe that God's going to help you with this. It's not always trying to answer the the need that's right before us, because I know that we live in a day and age where people take advantage or they do whatever, and we're always on our guard. But what I want to tell you right now is, you know, when someone gets to a place that they're that they need to beg or ask or plead for someone to intervene or do something for them, you know, no matter the circumstances they've gone through in their life, uh, I just want to let you know, whatever's on the outside, the inside is much worse. The inside reality of what's going on is very, very real and painful. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say it this way. He says, "You, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. You know, God hasn't called us to judge people and analyze the reasons they're in the state that they're in. You know what? If not by the grace of God, we would all be in the same situation. You know what? So many times we've been dealt to hand that, you know, we can just look back on our life and we can see the blessings of God throughout our life. And we can also see the grace of God at work in our lives. And, you know, many times we just want to categorize people according to what they've done or what they haven't done. Instead of just looking at them as human beings created in the image of God that are suffering, regardless of the reason. Now, Henry Ward Beecher, the great American preacher, he said this. He said, compassion will cure more sins than condemnation. You know, your judgment only brings condemnation. Your compassion can actually bring a cure for the sins. So let's move on to the third level here. The third level is we come to realize the supernatural power of radical generosity. We realize and we see in this story that just a little bit, five loaves and two fish can become an amazing amount when we place it in God's hand. You know, Winston Churchill understood something. He says, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And I don't think necessarily Winston Churchill was a man of great faith, but he was a man that understood the power behind generosity. You know, John Wesley would tell the early Methodists this. He would say, do all the good you can by all the means you can in the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. It was this this willingness just to respond. Like I was saying, many times I don't have in my hand what someone needs. Maybe they need uh, $10,000 for surgery, and I do not have it. But what I do have is I have time to listen. I have time to to slow my life down. I have time to show compassion. I have the time that I can gift them to pray, stand with them, send them a letter, encourage them, let them know, let them know that they're not alone. And Charles Dickens, the incredible English author, he said it this way, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. It doesn't matter if I lighten it just a little bit by what I'm able to do, but no one is useless when we're able just to lift the burden of another person. Now, Oren Arnold's has given us a gift list. He was a journalist. Uh, He wrote out a pretty, what's become a pretty famous gift list, and, and I think it's pretty cool. 
because he gives us a, a gift list that we can give to people that really financially doesn't have very much attachment. And, uh, and I love this little list. He said, to your friend, gift loyalty. To your enemy, gift forgiveness. To your boss, gift service. To a child, gift a good example. To your parents, gift gratitude and devotion. To your mate, gift love and faithfulness. To all men and women, gift charity or love. <laughs> isn't, that amazing? isn't that beautiful? It, none of those things cost us anything. We all have the time and the capability to gift every one of those things and be a part of lifting the burden of another person, of, of being a part of their miracle. And so many times we think, oh, I don't have the money, I don't have this, I don't have that. And, uh, you know, I think during this season of our life, especially in my life, I've realized something. I, I, I've come to agree with John Bunyan that you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. You really don't live every day of your life unless you're able to get to a place where you do something for someone who can never repay you. Not because you're accumulating favors or you're building, you're building some kind of massive uh, uh, <laughs> you know, token debt with another person, but it's because you really learn to live. You really understand what Jesus said. It's, it's cited in the book of Acts. We know that Paul said it and repeated it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And once we realize that in our life, we realize that our giving actually energizes us. Our giving will return energy into our life. It will give value and purpose to our lives. You know, I pray that you would continue to grow and mature, that you would not get discouraged. And uh, I want to end today with a little quote from J.C. Ryle. I've been holding this for a while. It's been on my notes for probably six or eight months. And uh, this, this, little, this little blurb is very, very encouraging to me when we're talking about the reality of our slow growth and our spiritual life. J.C. Ryle, the great English, they called him the last Puritan. He said this, he said, Gradual growth in grace, growth in knowledge, growth in faith, growth in love, growth in holiness, growth in humility, growth in spiritual mindedness, all this I see clearly taught and urged in Scripture and clearly exemplified in the lives of God's saints. But sudden instantaneous leaps of conversion to consecration I fail to see in the Bible. You know what? If you're going through this process with us at Sage Spirituality of slow growth, congratulations, you're in good company. And anytime we look at the Word of God, what we see is a slow growth, not leaps and bounds, just a slow, steady growth. So, you know, take time. Take time during this week. Once you've listened to this podcast, make a commitment to seek out silence and solitude to be with God. Make a decision to be compassionate even when you don't feel like it. And thirdly, 
make the decision that you're going to give. Maybe the gifts that 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 Orrin Arnold listed out. Maybe maybe what you can give to another friend to to another person is loyalty, forgiveness, service, a good example, gratitude and devotion, love and faithfulness, or maybe just love, charity, grace. You know, let us be generous with whatever we have, whenever we have it, (laughs) as much as we can possibly do it. I want to thank you again for coming to the table with us here at Sage Spirituality. You are truly a blessing. You encourage us. Would you just take a moment, share the podcast with someone, maybe pick up the phone and call them, send them a link, uh, place it on your Facebook, however you want to share this, just be a part of the narrative of someone else who needs to go through the same slow growth process in their spiritual life. Also take a minute and rate us and subscribe if you haven't subscribed. We're so thankful. God bless you. And we look forward to the next time we're together. Thank you for tuning in to Sage Spirituality. We are so glad you pulled up a chair.